Fading Memories is sponsored by I'm Up. I'm Up is an app that gives you independence, security, and peace of mind. Find it in your favorite app store and use invite code 006 when you sign up. Welcome to Fading Memories, a supportive podcast for those of us caring for a loved one with memory loss. Before we get into today's helpful episode, I have a little favor to ask you. Can you make sure to go on Apple Podcasts and rate and review Fighting Memories? This is the best way for new people to find the show, and it can't be a supportive podcast if people don't know I exist. And also, pop over to the website, FadingMemoriesPodcast.com, and sign up for the newsletter. Now that I'm into year two, I've got some exciting things coming out that I would like to share with you, and I don't always have to be yakking in your ear to do that. So if you do those two things, I'd really love it. Now, on to today's show. With me today is Carlin Maddox. He is the author of this book, A Path Revealed. He's here today to talk about his journey with Alzheimer's and his wife, Martha, and maybe give us some suggestions on late stage caregiving. So thanks for being with me today, Carlin. Jen, it's nice to talk with you. Thanks for inviting me. You're welcome. So first off, tell me about you and your um, wife, Martha. I know that she's no longer with us. Martha grew up in St. Petersburg, Florida. That's where I live now. And uh, we moved here from Santa Fe in 1975 as a couple. And uh, all through this time, Martha was, uh, ever since we got back to St. Petersburg, she was very involved in politics. And in our county here, uh, she worked on uh, very closely on the Jimmy Carter presidential campaign back in the day. And, um, and so she was involved civically and she was involved politically, very active, very uh, energetic woman. Uh, just I'm, I'm six foot five. Martha was five, seven, and her energy level was just twice mine. Uh, but anyway, uh, we have three children. Uh, the first one was born in 1975. That's why we moved back here, because she was pregnant with our first. And then we have, that's David, and we have... Uh, two daughters, Rachel and Catherine, following uh, David. And so it, it was in 1997 that Martha was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. Uh, prior to that time, like in the mid to late 80s, with all of Martha's political, political contacts, she had served on the St. Petersburg City Council for six years. And um, so... In that diagnosis in 1997, Martha was 50 years old and I was 52 years old. If we had heard of Alzheimer's disease, um, I don't remember, but regardless, we hadn't paid any attention to it uh, at at that time, at that stage in our lives. I want to back up just about a year before that time uh, in terms of, uh, people have asked me, did I see any signs of this coming on? And it was very difficult to to catch, but there was one particular uh, event. Martha had uh, decided to run for an open seat in the Florida State Legislature in 1996. And uh, with all of her background and all of her experience in politics, I thought this was her race to win. And uh, there were three other candidates. And this one event was the most significant event during the campaign. 
Martha, uh, this was what was called our Tiger Bay Club. It's a political club. So all four candidates were there. Martha and each of the candidates had to ask, answer every question that the audience would ask. I'd seen Martha in a dozen scores of these kinds of events, and she was always cool, she was calm, she gave common sense answers, smart answers, and uh, no problem. But on this day, Martha had to ask for every question to be repeated. And that just, uh, uh, I didn't know what was going on. And when she would answer the questions, they were just slightly off the mark. They, they uh, just didn't quite make sense. We got home and I said, Martha, what was going on? And she thought everything went just fine. Uh, she wound up losing that primary race by 20 votes, which was disappointing at the time. But uh, in hindsight, I'm glad that she did lose. So it was, it was nine months later after our children were troubled by some of the things being, being seen in Martha. She was forgetting uh, people's names, forgetting appointments. And if you're in politics, you just don't do that kind of thing. Uh, and so we... I got an appointment set for her to see a neurologist in Texas first. She went in by herself. And when I got home that night to talk to her, how the appointment went, I said, well, I, he, he was keeping me too long, so I just got up and left. And I said, okay. And it took us another three months to get back in to see the doctor. I went with her at that time, at that appointment. And... Uh, and so they put her through a battery of tests that they do. In those days, you, you couldn't diagnose Alzheimer's. It was a process of elimination. Is there a thyroid problem? Is there uh, a depression or whatever else and go through those kinds of tests? So we were supposed to come back in two weeks. Uh, and there was a long, long two weeks that we sort of wondering what was going on. We got back, and the doctor that we had initially visited, who was Martha's neurologist, uh, wasn't there. He had been called out on, a, on an emergency. And so it was left to talk. We would have talked with him so for the bit. And we um, went in, and this uh, doctor was just a very stiff kind of a, a fella. Uh, he, he was behind the desk, didn't even come around the desk to say hello to us. And his big desk, he told us just to sit down on the opposite side. This guy could have passed for Mr. Spock on Star Trek. I mean, he was just cerebral. He was uh, just talked in a monotone voice and still. And, and well, in fact, Mr. Spock had more personality than this fellow. And um, he looked at Martha and says, I'm sorry to tell you, but it looks like uh, you have early onset Austin. And I, our, I could look at Martha, and I just saw her confidence go straight to the floor. Uh, we didn't know what to do. I started saying, what do you mean? How did, how did this happen? And he started trying to explain to me in medical terms. I said, I don't need to do that. Uh, our world was not turned upside down. It just totally got the floor. Uh, we got home and uh, had a long, long cry. And at that point, Martha uh, looked at me after that big crying. She said, I do not want to tell her so. I don't want to tell my parents. I don't want to tell our children. I don't want to tell my friends. And, uh, and I said, well, 
okay, this is going to be a little hard, but I'll try to honor this. And so that was, that's how we got the news, and that's how it got started. Um, I had asked the doctor uh, later if, if there were some support group that I, as a caregiver, could get to, to connect with. And he just knew of only one support group. There were not many support groups in those days. This was in 1997. Uh, he knew of only one. He said, I just wouldn't recommend that you go there because the caregivers there are, their spouses are all in late stages of Alzheimer's. And I think it would press you more than if you went. So I, I chose not to go. But, but back to the, the day that we got the diagnosis, Martha said, you know, as we talked, Martha said, you know, there's probably one person I would talk to. And that was a retired uh, Presbyterian minister here in St. Petersburg, who was Martha's friend before we got together. Uh, he wound up marrying us and baptizing a couple of our kids. And uh, his name is Lacey Carwell. He said, he said, I, I called Lacey and told him that we'd like to talk to him. Didn't tell him what it was about. And he uh, said, I'll be over tomorrow. Lacey comes in, and he's my height, packed quite a few more pounds than me, but his personality is just bigger than uh, life. Uh, but he comes in and just fills the room, and Mark and I sit down on the couch, and he sits in a chair opposite us. And then uh, Martha nods at me to start the conversation. I said, Lacey, we've asked you here because Martha's been diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's. And I could just see this big man just shrink right in the chair. He nodded at me and, and he said to swap places with him. And he sat next to Martha and put his arm around her and uh, had another cry at that point. And after, after that, he said, you know, I have a friend in Kentucky who is a retreat director with a sister of Loretta community. Uh, she has the best gift of discernment of issues like this and other kinds of crises of any person I've ever met. I've sent a lot of my friends to visit with her and a lot of folks who in my congregation who had one crisis or another. And uh, he said, I would encourage you to go. I don't know what you get out of it, but I think it would be meaningful. And so uh, Martha and I talked with each other. I called the sister Elaine and we arranged three weeks later, we uh, drove up to Kentucky with her. And so that was sort of the start of, of what my book describes as being a path with you information coming through. So that gives you a background then in terms of sort of who we were. I, I didn't mention anything about me. While Martha was into politics, I had started a, uh, I had worked with the St. Petersburg Times writing on the business desk there here. And uh, I started a business magazine in this area or um, I started a business magazine that we kept running for about 25 years. And so it was an entrepreneurial, regional business magazine. So that kept me busy. Martha's politics kept her busy. But suddenly our lives were just came to a screeching halt. And did she ever, when she was talking to other people, did she ever finally come around and, and tell friends and family, what was going on with her? I know I've read two-thirds of the book. Um, 
And that's one thing my mom has never done is admit that she had a problem. And we pretty much started on the, on this path about the same time as you guys did. Most listeners that are most regular listeners will know we had a family photography business together. That's my other career. And she would take orders from clients with no directions, no due dates, nothing useful on how to complete the order. And it was easy to dismiss that as, you know, oh, well, she just got to chatting with the client and forgot and she knew in her head what she was going to do. But it, it was something that increased over time where she would take, I had to start supervising. If I heard her chatting away with a client, I would go out and join the conversation and then look at the order and go, oh, you know, what are we doing for Carlin today? And just work it into the conversation, you know, and she, my mom is now 76 and in the late stages of Alzheimer's, it's anybody that's been following me on social media knows it's been a, a little bit of a challenging week and today is only Wednesday. <laughs> so, um, I got a call from her care home yesterday when I went and visited Monday, she was really out of it. Every statement out of her mouth was nonsensical more so than, I mean, a thousand times more than normal, which is hard to fathom. But I knew that she'd visited with another couple and a new resident for quite a while before I got there. So I assumed she was tired. Well, yesterday she was having the same problems and with dizzy. And so I had to drop everything, text and message clients why their stuff wasn't going to get to them when I told them it would and take her to the doctor because And this is not something I've actually talked about in a whole year of doing this podcast, but that UTIs are a really common problem with the elderly and especially people with memory issues. And so I assumed that that was what she was struggling with. And I knew today and tomorrow were, there was just no way of rearranging my schedule to take her to the doctor. So I took her yesterday and I would bet anybody 50 bucks, she was dehydrated. After all of the drama with the doctor and getting the urine and everything, I have a feeling the test is going to come back clear mm-hmm. and it's a challenge. I don't know how you managed her. To, I know you, you turned a lot of the work of the magazine over to like a partner because my husband and I are both self-employed and this journey is I've, I've realized in the last month that I did a lot more work on Mondays than I used to, than I thought and taking care of her, even though she is in a care residence, is taking up more time than I thought, which is taking away time from working, which is putting a huge financial strain on our households. So this is yesterday, we kind of brought a lot of that to a head. So it's just been a really big challenge. And like I said, we started, I think she started showing signs in 1995, which was she was 52 and a half, which is how old I am right now. And she's still with us. So we've been on this journey a very long time. And so it's, I like to talk to people who've dealt with the late stage because it's getting challenging. So I, and I know from your book that you, you did a lot, you, you learned a lot about meditation. Is that how you handled the whole journey? There, there is no one too that will handle the whole journey. (laughs) That's true. Despite being behind on working, I was like, I am not skipping my bike ride with our group this morning. I'm in California. It's a beautiful spring day. 
wasn't hot, wasn't cold, finally isn't windy. And I knew going out with friends and in the sunshine would lift my mood to a point where I could cope with the rest of the t- today <laughs> and tomorrow and anything that comes down the pipe. But I knew if I skipped that, even though the logical businessy part of my brain was saying, no, you really should skip it and, and get caught up. I'm like, nope, because I need to, I need to take care of myself. And I know that being outside in the fresh air and the sunshine really, really helps that. Yeah. But, so I'm still behind, but I had a nice bike ride. <laughs> um, uh, I, I'm sorry. For my, have you been the primary caregiver the whole time? No, my dad was. And because they were in their home for just under 47 years when he died, mom existed on what I think was like muscle memory. I mean, you, I've been in my house about 12 years. I mean, there's a lot of things I could probably do with my eyes closed. So I can only imagine, you know, add another 50 years on top of Mm -hmm. that or whatever. I can't do math so well. (laughs) Um, Not planning on leaving. So, um, he, I think he did a lot more than my sister and I were aware of. There was a lot of things that he didn't do. He never went to a support group. I researched an adult day program for her back in, it must've been 2014 mm-hmm. and was very excited about it. I, Cause he was also chronically ill with diabetes and all kinds of other issues. And I knew he needed a break because his patience was limited and she challenges your patience to, I mean, just, I don't, I don't have much more than he did. And that's frustrating. I try really hard to just not take anything personally, especially because she doesn't remember who I am and just, and, and not take the rude snotty comments personally. Although after Monday and yesterday, I was failing that one, but he just refused to even go and visit this day program. And there's one in my hometown here that I interviewed last year when I first started the podcast. It's fantastic. She would have benefited, benefited. That word is not coming out right. She would have benefited tremendously. And so would he, I never have understood his resistance. What uh, is your dad still living? No, he passed away two years ago. Okay. I think he I think he just became so exhausted. He had a donated kidney that wasn't um at the end it wasn't functioning 100% correctly and he'd already been on dialysis prior to the transplant for two and a half years and he said I'm not doing dialysis again. And for anybody that's not ever been on dialysis or dealt with somebody that's been on dialysis, you'd think it would make you feel good, clean out your system, but it just wipes you out. And it's three days a week for about four hours. And it's actually not good for your brain because they're taking all the blood out of your body and recirculating it through a machine. And so you actually lose a little bit of oxygenated blood to your brain. So it's, it's not the um, cure-all that we would like to believe. And he just didn't want to do it anymore. So he unbeknownst to anybody in the family needed to be on dialysis and didn't tell us. And November 29th, 2016, my husband and daughter and I show up at their house and he thought it was 1998. And I was like, Oh my God, now what do I do? I have two parents with dementia. 
Had I known what was going on with him, I would not have taken him to the hospital. I would have called hospice. Because we spent a month in the hospital and then two and a half, a little over two months on hospice. So it was just long drawn out process that didn't have to be long and drawn out. And of course, mom never understood what was going on. So that was always that to deal with. And he didn't really know what was going on because his memory went completely south and it wasn't fun. And your sister helping us? <laughs> she does. She is almost five years younger than me and she still has school age kids. Does she live in the So part of me? Yeah, we live we live in adjacent towns. So, I mean, I, I thought about calling her yesterday and saying, you, you're going to have to drop stuff and figure out how to take mom to the doctor. But I knew that that was probably even harder than me. So I'm like, fortunately, they found an appointment yesterday afternoon. My husband, my husband is actually a planning commissioner in our town. So something similar to Martha. He tried twice to be city council, but that never happened. He had a meeting last night. So I'm like, I'm just going to grab some leftovers, eat some dinner, and go try to catch up on what I should have done this afternoon. So that helped a little because I knew I wasn't skipping the bike ride this morning. I'm like, I got to go out and do this. I, I just, I know it'll help. And it has, cause my mood is much better. I feel a little more positive. Got to keep on the bike. Um, yep. Well, and, and I saw a couple friends I haven't seen in a long time. So it was just, it was meant to be just like yesterday at the doctor was meant to be because there was a, a urology nurse in the office that afternoon. So I'm like, okay, meant to be, we'll just move forward. But I, I, and I'll, I'll try to, well, it'll be on the social media for sure. And I'll try to update people on the podcast, but I bet you she doesn't have a UTI. I bet you she's just dehydrated because she's just. Well, I'll have to, I'll have to connect with you. Are you on Facebook? I guess. Um, I do have a Facebook page. If you post there, I'll get a notification. Um, I do more Twitter and Instagram. Oh. I try to do all of them, but time. Exactly. <laughs> so tell me how I've tried to meditate and I can never shut off my brain. So at this point in mom's journey, I'm not sure I have enough time to learn yeah. to meditate, to deal with her. So me- tell us what you, what you went through and maybe how others can, yeah. Do something similar. I had I had never uh, begun to meditate, and the sister Elaine in Kentucky, as we parted, uh, he just suggested that we might check out meditation to see if it be something that would help. And um, that's all that's all she said. And when we got back to St. Petersburg, this uh, pastor, Lacey Harwell, uh, we got with him and brought him up to date with our visit with Sister Lane. And um, then at some point I said, Lacey, have you, have you um, know anything about meditation? And he said, well, as a matter of fact, I do. And I was surprised. I mean, we're, we were, we're Presbyterians and Presbyterians didn't meditate. I mean, just, it's tough. but he did. And he pointed us to a particular um, Benedictine monk by the name of John Lane, Father John Lane. He says he has about the simplest approach, and it's just a very authoritative approach. And um, so I ordered a book of his called Word in the Silence and a set of his tapes. They're CDs now, called In the Beginning. 
And Martha and I just started listening to these. And um, this Father John Maine had just a very soothing kind of voice. And it, if, if there was any kind of uh, disruption going on within Martha or, or, or me, he first settled with them. But it, it was just a very simple practice that he encouraged us to do of about 15 minutes in the morning and about 15 minutes in the evening. And we began to do that. We didn't always hit it twice a day like that, but usually in the morning. And uh, I didn't know if Martha would be able to follow the word that he was suggesting, uh, the, the mantra. Um, so I would just repeat it slowly, uh, quietly for us both. And we, we would just sit down side by side. And uh, just like you, I, I just have thousands of things going through my mind. And but it would just keep saying this over and over. And I've, I've, I've now been practicing meditation for over 25 years. And my mind still gets fluttered. Stuff. So it, it just, it, there's no, no full emptying completely. But the thing that I noticed, this is after a while, it was not immediate. But I began to sense that my anxiety level diminished. And I certainly began to sense Martha's anxiety level with me. But we were doing it together. I was I would be sitting by her side, holding her hand, and just repeating the word. And we can get into the details of that later if you want to, but that, that's what we would do. The other thing that happened then is that after a time, I sensed that a, a level of intimacy between us that we have never experienced in our 25 years. And I'm not talking about sexual intimacy, but it was just a communion, uh, uh, just a, a, a quiet kind of communion that it just, and I, I could sense this in Martha as well. I was feeling it, and I could sense this in Martha. There was just a quiet knowing of each other that was very important. Does that mean that Martha suddenly became rational again and and doing what you were expecting her to do? No, that's not that was not the case. And did that mean I became uh, totally rational and, and not reactive to what Martha was doing and saying and, and trying to straighten her out, whatever? Uh, you know that that's futile. Uh, but that, this was just very important. And, and going into the late stage, um, Martha was diagnosed in 97. She stayed home. I was fortunate enough to be able to have a caregiver during the day with her. Um, so she stayed home until 2008 and went into a nursing home, a Jewish nursing home here in and was there until she died in 2014, six years later. Uh, by the time she got into the nursing home, Martha was not able to talk. She was not able to uh, feed herself. She was not able to, uh, she shortly stopped walking and uh, certainly not able to take care of herself. Uh, so, but as I mentioned, Martha was a very energetic person and Martha also had a, she had a real temper at times. And just mm-hmm. uh, would just flash and then everything back okay and then just left left me scrambling on the floor, just lying on the floor, saying, What'd that do? kind of thing. But, uh, that sounds a little bit like my that, mom. 
Well, interestingly, and everybody reacts the same differently. Interesting, Martha became much more placid, much more uh, content with herself rather than and content with the surroundings. Um, but what I'm going to, in relation to meditation, uh, as we had been practicing meditation for 97, for a decade, and when I get into uh, the nursing home, Martha oftentimes would be curled up in her bed or in her, in her chair in a fetal position with, a, with her arm behind her back, just like this, and just up, all stiff. And I'd, I'd walk into the room and I'd say, hi, Martha, this is Carla. Sometimes she'd recognize my voice, most times not. And I would just sit down beside her and I would slip my hand into my right hand into her left hand. And uh, we would talk a little bit and then I would begin to meditate quietly aloud using the word. And it was not long before Martha's body just unfurled and just straightened out in the chair and in the bed. And oftentimes she would just fall asleep. Well, other times she'd just lay there with her eyes open uh, and we would just, and there was this, again, this intimacy and this sense of, uh, um, it's just something protecting us. I don't know how to describe that. Uh, and, and it was just sort of our moment, our, our time together. And that happened more times than not. But we, I, to answer your question, I'm not sure that would have happened if that's we just started trying to meditate in late stage. So, um, anyway. I can't imagine trying to do that with my mom. Although I did, be- Monday, because she was so out of it and just cranky and, I mean, she's not herself because of the disease, but Monday she was really not herself. And I thought, okay, she's tired, but she was never like a middle-of-the-day nap person. So I knew trying to get her to take a nap would be kind of futile. So I helped her into a chair. Now, Mom walks. She's physically capable of walking fine, but because her visual processing is degenerated, she sees shadows as hazardous holes, sticks, cracks, you know, something that you would need to step over carefully so she tippy toes around shadows and oh, it's like super frustrating when you're in a parking lot and cars are trying to drive around you which is what we had on monday and so i i she was perched on the edge of her bed and i'm like why didn't you come over here and i actually grabbed her hands which she doesn't particularly like and i guided her over to the recliner and i said here and i i reclined it and she'd never put her head back it was just, it was like, just, it was like when babies refused to go to sleep. And I sat in the chair next to her and I just put my head back. And I'm like, oh, it's so nice. It's quiet. And, and I just talked in a quiet voice and, and I started speaking slower. And I'm like, because I know how I end up falling asleep. If I'm listening to people talk and I'm just laying there because I listen to podcasts and then I fall asleep like in five minutes. But if I don't listen to talking, it takes forever. It's like, I apologize to the podcasters who I use for going to sleep. <laughs> Sometimes I have to replay the same episode multiple times. I'm like, well, that was pretty interesting, but I'm only remembering about five minutes of it. 
And so after, you know, a few suggestions and, oh, this is so nice. She was out like a light. And that's why I assumed that my assessment of exhaustion was correct. But it wasn't. <laughs> Not completely well, anyway. Like I said, the doctor said it might be a few days to get the culture back from, you know, the urine test. But I guess they did like a quickie test on it and there was no bacteria. And she didn't have a fever. So not sure that she, I don't think she had a UTI. But I bet you she, like I said, I bet you she was dehydrated because she's pretty stubborn about drinking water. They do, they eat a lot of popsicles and jello. Now I know why. I always wondered why they had so many snacks. It's like they just had lunch. Now they're having popsicles and jello. Now I now I understand why. We missed our popsicle on Monday. And she was already, I don't know. I'm gonna have to once I get the results back from the doctor, then I'll talk to the staff. If if it is what I think it is, then I'll have to let them know that, you know, she was refusing water, popsicles, whatever it is they do to help keep them hydrated and so that they can pay more attention so that None of us has an emergency with her because you know, I'm sure they weren't thrilled and I wasn't thrilled, but it was interesting to kind of just guide her into going to sleep when sleeping in the daytime is not her thing. Mm -hmm. And then I also interviewed a gal. She was actually my very first released episode. She also has younger onset Alzheimer's and she's a huge advocate for the disease and she, if you listen to that episode, one of the things she does every morning is meditate and journal. And so there's something to meditation being good for your brain. So I might have to try it again. Uh, I mean, just, just back to your story, though. The, you're slowing down your speaking. Uh, that's connecting some way with your mother. It's, well, it's connecting with you. It, it just, I mean, it's... It, there, there's no formula to meditate. I mean, you want to keep it simple and you want to keep it straightforward. But if that works, then you may want to try, try it on the ongoing basis with your mother. Just give that a shot. And um, you, you just might... Uh, it sounds like you spend a lot of time at the home at, at your mother's place. Uh, I go every Monday... And I'm usually there about two or three hours. I generally try to take her out, which was my original plan for this week, that we're blessed to have two regional parks very, very close to where she's at. One is in the foothills of the mountain that we live at the base of, and she loves it there. And it's the paths are fairly easy enough. I mean, we don't go very far for obvious reasons, but there's some paths that... You know, they're, they're fairly accessible to pretty much everybody. There's, you know, they're not super steep or, you know, they're wide and cleared. And I think you could probably push an outdoor wheelchair on it. I haven't had to experience that yet, so I don't know. Um, but she always likes to go there. She likes to look at the trees and the nature. And I know that that's good for her. But it was very, very windy on Monday. And the wind was very cold. So it wasn't, it wouldn't have been pleasant to go there. And the other regional park has like a swimming pond it's it's kind of a, it's like a swimming pool but it has like a beach entrance and there's actually sand in part of it it's really the weirdest thing <laughs> and we'll go there when it's warmer because she loves to watch kids but the last time we were at the regional park 
The sun was wonderful, and I managed to get quite a bit of water in her because even at a mild temperature, just the walk up to the pond and back, you know, you get a little thirsty or putting a little exertion in there. And I know she doesn't drink very much water, so I kept in not insisting but encouraging strongly for her to drink more water. And she had like this very, very subtle more clarity moment, you know, for about mm, 10 or 15 minutes. It was really interesting. Cause I'm like, we got the sunlight, we got the water. I know these things are good, but it, it was interesting that I could actually, and then I don't, I wasn't expecting any type of clarity and it wasn't, wasn't clarity. Like she actually remembered who I was or what we were doing, but it just seemed like her, her responses to my statements made more sense it was very interesting. So that's my goal is to take her out as long as I can and take her to places where she can enjoy the nature and the sunshine and fresh air and just getting away from the same old, same old. Do you, I mean, do you do that every day? No, I do it every week. week? Yeah, yes. Okay. I would lose my mind if I did that oh, every I'm, day. I understand. Yeah. I, would, I would be visiting. I would go and visit Martha probably five or six days a week for an hour, hour and a half or so. The thing that uh, really helped me in Martha's nursing home was uh, they had a good staff, um, but sometimes I was not getting from the staff what I need. And I found that one person who happened to be the director over that staff, the, the floor director, floor leader, and her name is Beverly, and she and I became fast friends. And uh, I just, if, if I if, I was not getting something done. I would ask Beverly to check on it, and I could count on it just being done and, and just making sure that Martha did get the water, that she was getting as much food as she could. Because I, wa- I wasn't there all the time to feed her and, and, and the life. And Martha, it sounded like Martha at, at her nursing home was in later stages than your mother is. I mean, I would not have been able to take Martha out uh, like that to walk or anything. At that stage, um, one of the things I'd, I'd like to mention: this isn't late stage, but was very helpful. Uh, uh, early, well, about two years in, Martha, as I mentioned, Martha's confidence had been shot after we got this diagnosis, and she's becoming sort of from being a, an expressive, outgoing personality to rather timid kind of stuff. Our sister-in-law came to Martha. About two years into the process, into the uh, Alzheimer's, and she encouraged Martha to join her in a watercolor painting class. And um, I thought to myself, "Well, good luck with that, KK." <laughs> Martha had never done anything like that. She liked tennis. She liked the hike. She liked uh, dancing and just being a very expressive kind of artist. So Martha got Martha. Uh, Martha only did this because KK was doing it too with her, so they went together and had fun as friends and, and whatever else. But it was amazing to me, in very short order, how Martha's confidence began to blossom. And uh, as she she started doing some things, and uh, I, I'll show you, I just have over my shoulder here behind me, uh, just, I don't know if you can see or not, just in the distance, that's what I call mm-hmm. her self-portrait. And it's just a lot of uh, bright. Can you see that? 
Uh-huh. Just a lot of bright colors and um, and I, I, I had never seen this in market before. And uh, it was just an amazing And she, as I talked to her uh, art teacher one time, she said, Fern, I don't know where this coloration is coming from. This is not something you can keep. This is something that was just sort of deep inside that KK happened to hit the right button. And um, it was just it was just very, uh, very important in our odyssey as we moved forward. Uh, this was just a very important stage for us. And uh, I, I probably have two, three, four dozen paintings of hers of different kinds and whatever else. And just uh, that, that was just an important time in our lives. Uh, the other thing that I keep hearing, and, and, and this worked with Martha as well, just to turn the music on. Martha was a dancer, and she loved this thing. She, uh, when, our, when our kids were young, our daughters were young, she was encouraging them to sing. So when you all get older, we'll go out uh, and, and just go on tour together, all three of us. And, <laughs> and uh, But turn the music on, and just, it was just Martha would get engaged with that. Uh, and, and so they just these things don't necessarily work for someone else, but they will work for a, a, a lot of people. I, I saw I, I saw a, uh, uh, online I, I saw a video of a man who was just shrunk into himself, and he at one time had been in, in a local jazz band, and it turns out that. Uh, one of the caregivers there had been talking to a, a, a child of his and found out about this and found out that members of his band were still in the area. So they invited them to come in and start playing. And there was a piano, and this man had played the piano. And he, he sort of came to life, moved over, started playing the piano, and, and they started playing as a band again. And it's just an amazing kind of transformation on the I have an upcoming interview with a gentleman who's part of the Alive Inside project, and it's all about music. Yeah. And I have a recent guest that I talked to who was saying, because I've I've tried music with my mom. My mom was very creative. She played the organ. Mm. We can't carry a tune with a handle. So we're not singers because that's not pretty, but I've tried playing the music that I know my dad listened to when my sister and I were kids. My mom, which I, I find this kind of funny. My mom liked to listen to talk radio. I like to listen to podcasts. So I've got the modern version of talk radio going on, or she would turn on the TV in the master bedroom, which was one far end of the house, the TV on in the family room, same show. So as she went about household chores, you know, there was, there was like voices to listen to. So she never listened to music, but my husband picked up on a song that I think would connect with her. We had, we had a dentist appointment last week and I had two or three songs that I was pretty sure that she would connect with queued up on my phone in case the doctor's the dentist appointment didn't go well because the last cleaning six months prior did not go well and she was she did great we didn't need the music but this guest had said 
that she went through like 200 songs to come up with a dozen that connected with her mom. And I was like, oh, great. So that there's a project for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it, it's all of experimentation again. As you, as, that is true. And, there's, and <clears throat> once I found something that worked, like the art, then it died off after two years. And, mm-hmm. and or I found something that would work today and the next day it didn't work. And, and it's just, and that's what it, you're playing havoc within yourself as far as you think you're getting, on, <coughs> excuse me, you think you're getting onto a track on something and there's just no track. I mean, it is just uh, very important to, but as you talk about taking care of yourself, and this is a real cliche for us caregivers. Yeah, I've heard about, I need to take care of myself. But it is important. And it's important to get help and ask for friends' help and family's help. And um, Because I, being a man, thought I could handle this all by myself when I first started this uh, back in 97. And it took me a while, I mean, KK, our sister-in-law, is the one that encouraged me to bring support on in and whatever else. And I'm really glad. Some of us are stubborn, and it just takes us a long time to learn. (laughs) And it's just a constant changing kind of movie show, picture show. It's just a different scene every day, every moment, whatever else. And... um, but uh, as just in, in reference to your father, uh, I, don't, I haven't seen any statistical information. I've certainly heard enough anecdotal information. The caregiver often dies before they lost one. And, and the statistic that I'm familiar with is 65% of caregivers end up hospitalized or deceased before the person they're caring for. And I would like to find... Like how many of that percentage, how many is hospitalized versus deceased? Because that's a big difference. But it's still, if you're caring for somebody almost exclusively or exclusively and you end up hospitalized, this is what happened with my dad. My family of three shows up to spend time with them, to put up some Christmas decorations, and it turned into a nightmare. And... First off, we had to like almost bodily force my dad to the hospital. And then we had to figure out what to do with my mom. Like I said, my sister has school-aged children. I didn't have a spare bedroom at the time. And it was just like, all of a sudden, you're just, you're literally plunged into the deepest end of the pool of the nightmare. And we ended up bouncing my mom around. She stayed with my sister for a few days And then she'd stay with me for a few days and then she'd be in her own home with her sister who is 11 years younger um, for a few days. And all that bouncing around didn't do any, didn't do anybody any good. It certainly didn't do her any good. And this is of course all at the holidays, which with my photography business is when I'm generally really busy. And I mean, it was just like, it was a 12 on the meter of one to 10 on nightmare. I try really hard to forgive dad because I don't understand except for the fact that after he died and after starting this podcast, I've talked to a lot of people that said, I can't believe your dad had significant 
um, kidney problems and didn't have memory problems. And I've looked back and now I can see warning signs that he did, but he was so much less of a problem than my mom. Um, that it was, it was, you didn't even notice it. Like she, she quote unquote had put his glasses someplace different. And I thought, well, that's really weird. And he's worn glasses since they met. And why would she move them? But, you know, with her Alzheimer's, I figured, eh, anything's possible. I don't think she moved them. I think he couldn't remember where he put them. And there was other instances like that that were very easy to to, to accept his um, reasoning on, on what was going on. And now I look back and I think, no, no, no. That was the beginning of the warning signs that we missed. So it was just... It was crazy. It was very difficult to deal with somebody on hospice that didn't understand they were on hospice. He thought he was getting over the flu. Oh, okay. And so he was very resistant to everything. He wouldn't. He didn't want the caregivers to help him to the bathroom, which meant he fell several times. And oh yeah, yeah, it was. It was was an unnecessary learning experience for my sister and I because now I understand that. Hospice for people with memory issues is different. Yeah. So I'm prepared for mom, although who knows? Who knows how she'll end up going? <laughs> well. Did you ever end up going to a support group? Uh, no. I, I, I wound up uh, on this path I'm talking about finding one mentor after another who was very helpful at that stage in my life. Um. It was, it was rather unique. Nobody, it's not something to duplicate, but I, I wound up visiting a, an Anglican minister out in Sydney, Australia. And, yeah, I got to that point in the book. <laughs> but um, they, they, they seemed to show up at times I didn't know I needed them, but I really needed them. And, and I would just encourage someone, not necessarily to look for that, but to... If, if they can get to a counselor so they can just talk out these ideas, and particularly a counselor who understands dementia and those issues, uh, that, that would just be very important. I mean, the support group is very helpful. And when you hear from other people with similar issues and similar kinds of problems, and little practical tips, uh, I mean, I wish I'd, there was one practical tip I wish I'd found early on, but it was just too late. Um, we Sometimes, Martha, early on, I would get to uh, take an air, airline flight, an airplane flight to wherever. And uh, I'd sort of look at something, read a magazine. The next thing I know, Martha's over here talking to strangers and just talking in gibberish over there. Oh, and, dear. And, um, and it was sort of awkward. And I, I, I got up real quick and went over there and just talked to Martha and used it back. But the, the idea that I saw was someone had come up with a like a business card that had printed on there. Uh, thank you for your understanding. My my wife has Alzheimer's disease, and that just changed the person's facial expression immediately. And it, it would. It, that's just little things that you come out of a support group where people have already gone through and, and found things that worked and, and didn't work. But that and Working with a counselor, uh, either either a psychologist or a religious counselor, uh, it just really 
help you with bouncing ideas off and approaches and whatever. I definitely agree. I'm in a support group that's through the Alzheimer's Association. And there are months we meet, we meet once a month. There's months where I offer advice and helpful information, which gets easier because I talk to a lot of people between meetings. So I can share a lot of what I'm learning from talking to people like you. And then there's other months where I need some help and I get it. So it's being able to, to give some of the advice while we're on the journey, you know, it gives your, your life meaning and purpose and you, you know, it, it helps you when you help somebody else. So that's always nice, but there, um, are you familiar with the Alzheimer's 800, their 24 seven number? I will remind people of that, but it's also at the end of the show. The Alzheimer's Association has a 24-7 caregiver hotline. It's 1-800-272-3900. So you can call that whenever you need somebody to talk you off the cliff. And then you can get to a support group or any of the types of things that Carlin is suggesting. And so what are you doing with yourself now that it's just you? Well, uh just right, at the, right before Martha died, I decided to write this book. Um, I had I had kept the journal from first day on, pretty much. I didn't do it for spiritual discipline reasons or whatever else. I just had so much information coming at me. Uh, medical, emotional, uh, stuff going on inside of me. I just had to have, I put it all into a journal. And I, and I, I stopped writing in the journal when Martha went into the nursing home about, so that was about 14 volumes later. And so hmm. that was the raw material I used to write my book. And that, that came out in 2016, the fall of 2016. So I spent a bit of time doing that. Uh, I started a blog myself at, at, at www.carlinmaddoxcarlinmaddox.com. Continue to do that, and um, and then just just getting through the day. <laughs> you know, you know what that's about. But, that is true. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I'm I'm retired at this point, but uh, I did have my magazine up until 2010, but I decided to shut that down. And so um, I get with friends and whatever generally have, well, a more relaxed time than I was as I was caring for Martha. Well, you've earned that. What's that? You've earned that. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely earned more relaxing time. Yeah. 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 I hope that all the people that are listening and people like me will come to that point. I know I've run across people who... They just, they struggle and it seems like they get hit one thing after another and with caring, you know, they're caring for family and, and then this bomb goes off and that is just, there's times I want to reach through the internet and just give somebody a hug and say, it's got to get better. (laughs) I know it doesn't look like it's going to. (laughs) Well, I mean, when, when Martha was diagnosed, we had one one daughter in high school still and two in college. Uh, so they were all at the young stage. And this is one thing I haven't touched on. After our two oldest, 
got home after, after college, um, they came up to me and said, Daddy, we'd like to give you a weekend a month. And that was that turned out to be very important. I wound up going to a nearby monastery where I could just get involved with the brothers there and not get involved with them. And I'd go out and talk to the orange trees and <laughs> yell at them and whatever else. I'd take walks and it just uh, it was it was just an amazing time that really helped me. And not everybody can find that. But if you, whatever time you can find, just have a friend come over. Uh, 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 to have, in hindsight, if I could ask a friend to come over to be with Mark for two hours while I just could get a break or, mm-hmm. or whatever else. I, I've learned at this stage that when I need help, I don't, I'm not bashful about asking for help. I, I was pretty bashful early on that journey. Well, and because she's, you guys were, you were my age when she was diagnosed, I can see why. Because you think, you know, I have a grandmother that's 101. So I'm, I am significantly middle-aged. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not getting over the hill yet. And, you know, you've, you've got the energy and the stamina and you think you can, you can go the distance. But just, I find mentally there's times when I feel like I'm actually thinking for both of us. Oh, yeah. And I come home and it's just, you know, face plant on the kitchen counter. Just my brain is just done. And I don't spend that much time with her. I can't imagine 24 yes. seven. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't lie. I'd be one of those, I'd be part of that statistic because I just, I need quiet time to just read a book, watch a TV show, walk the dogs, all three. And if I don't get it, I'm not very nice. <laughs> I would suggest when you do the face plant, have a pillow there on the counter. Yeah, it's granite, so I got to be careful. <laughs> but yeah, last week I came home, I was just like, I actually started a blog post on thinking for two, but my brain was so tired, I only got part of the way through it. So I need to, I need to go back to that. And like I said, this week with mom has been a little bit of drama. Yeah. So I'll get there. Okay, all right. Well, I enjoyed the book and I will link I will link the the book and your blog on the show notes so that people can order it and click through the notes to get to your blog and all the good stuff because the one thing I've learned from doing this podcast for a year because it was a year last week is the more people you talk to the the bigger your help community can be. Yeah. You know, people can reach out to you and say, oh, my gosh, well, you know, what did I what, what would you suggest? And you might not have a good suggestion, but at least it's there or they can read your blog posts and go, oh, that, you know, like Martha, and my mom sound very similar. And I've just I've I have learned so much talking to people and it's giving me. It gives me a little bit of hope that I can deal with my mom better. I can help care for her better and not get as frustrated Although this week we were failing, so <laughs> got to try a little harder well, next week. In your podcast, it also helps you just not internalize all this stuff all the time. I mean, you, that's you're true. Able to talk it out and just lay it all out there, and uh, don't necessarily get any answers. But that's an answer in itself. It's just not keeping it inside. That's that's really important. 
Yeah, that is very yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. It was. I talk um, to myself a lot in the mirror a lot. <laughs> I do that not in the mirror, but I do have conversations with myself in my head. But the whole point when I started the podcast, I thought, well, I've been on this journey a long time with my mom. I felt like I had known a lot, which I think I did, but I've learned so much more. My original thought was, I want to share with people what I wish I had known when mom was in the early stages, in the middle stages. And I've passed that along, but I've passed it along through other people more than I thought I was. And now I'm talking to more people like yourself and learning things from me and hopefully sharing that useful information with everybody out there. There you go. Well, I really appreciate it this afternoon and evening for you, I think. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so one challenge of being in California, I don't talk to many people on the West Coast. And when I do, it's really weird because then we can actually talk in the end of the afternoon for me instead of early afternoon. All right. <laughs> and I have one gal I want to talk to and she's in the United Kingdom. I'm like, oh man, that'll be a challenge. There you go. But, you know, her her evening, my morning, it's it's doable. Okay. We'll see. But again, thank you so much. And you have a fantastic week. You're welcome. May your week become much improved. It should be. Talking to you. And then I've got a photography client this afternoon. And then tomorrow is kind of a repeat. Go to the gym. I have the, the, the podcast person and then another photography client. So those are the things that I love that make me happy. So can't possibly be bad. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in. I want to remind you, if you need help right this minute, you have a question you need answered right now, you can contact the Alzheimer's Association 24-7 hotline. Their phone number is 1-800-272-3900. For tuning in to Fading Memories, And as always, I'll be in your ears again next Tuesday. Coming up in just a sec is a promo from another podcast that you might find helpful. It's called Ang Zenity, and it's about a gentleman who's been through all types of mental health struggles and how he managed to come out the other side. And it's a way for you to find ways that you can do better with your mental state. And I know caregivers need that. So I hope you enjoy. And if you like it, give it a listen. Do you or someone you know struggle through life with anxiety-related mental disorders? Ever get that feeling that you are one of the few? I'm here to tell you that you are not alone. Take a journey with me as I talk about key points in my past and how they may have led to me being diagnosed with anxiety and panic disorder after which we will talk about different ways to tone down the anxiety and maybe even beat it together on anxiety. The easiest way to remember the name is by thinking about how one searches for a state of zen in the midst of the anxieties of life. My name is Gerald, and I'm the host of Anxiety.